0: Welcome to Cross-Border Tax Talks, where we discuss the latest trends in international taxation, from U.S. tax reform to the OECD's latest developments on Pillar 2. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's U.S. International Tax Services leader. You can watch these podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash Doug McConey. On this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks, we're back in our Washington, D.C., policy-on-demand studio, where I'm excited to be joined by Dom Megna. Dom is a tax partner and the leader of PwC's U.S. tax reporting and strategy practice. Dom advises multinational clients on transformation and digital enablement for tax and finance that drives efficiencies and performance including the use of automation and standardization of processes for enterprise-wide platforms. Dom, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Doug. So, Dom, I'm usually very comfortable with the material that we're talking about <laughs> here on the Cross-Border Tax Talks, and I'll tell you, I want to warn you, I'm a little bit over my skis on this one, but there's just been so many questions that, that we've had, the taxpayers have, about our Pillar 2 calculations, and I'm really excited to have you on and try to understand a little bit about how companies are going to be able to source their data for, for Pillar 2. Sure.
1: Absolutely. I, I totally get that. It's obviously something we're dealing with, too, in trying to
0: figure out, as you know, as you and I work together at, uh, on different initiatives around this. Right. So before we dive into the Pillar 2 discussion on operational readiness, I did want to start with the big trend that we're seeing as multinational companies move their ERP systems or enterprise resource planning systems or what I would refer to as their accounting systems <laughs> to the cloud. Um, we had, had Mohamed Khandi, a PwC's global consulting leader on the podcast a few months back, and we talked about why it's important to have tax at the table for any type of business transformation. So maybe again, before we get into the pillar two, and I think this is a good tie-in, can you start by sharing why it's particularly important to involve tax as taxpayers move their ERP systems from behind their own firewalls to the cloud?
1: Sure, let's, um, let's talk about it in two different ways, right? I think, um, you know, thread number one is really around the fact that from just a general tax treatment perspective, There's a lot of pay-fors that are available as you're doing some sort of ERP transformation or moving systems or consolidating systems out of jurisdictions, teams out of certain areas who may be functional uh, specialists as it relates to those tools and are moving in different states or wherever you may be moving into the cloud. Those pay-fors can take the form of R&D credits Right? If you're doing anything organizationally around a large-scale ERP transformation, you can look for opportunities around VCT planning, um, that obviously can provide some pay-fors for that level of project, right? So that's one level that you can get to on. And
0: just to make sure that I understand what you mean by pay-fors, that obviously there's significant cost and expense right. that companies incur to be able to move, whether they're consolidating systems. You're right. it's not. This isn't relevant just for companies that are moving from behind their own firewalls to the cloud. It's like any time that you're going through an ERP transformation and resetting up or setting up a new or reestablishing an accounting system, there's obviously significant costs associated with that absolutely and so the idea is is that well if we can get data in a form that can allow us to be able to take advantage of tax credits or tax efficiencies that can potentially pay for a good chunk of that of that project
1: right there's that data there's the movement of, of the actual systems um, there are credits associated with various jurisdictions mm-hmm. where maybe you're hosting that, that particular solution uh, and where those teams sit. So that's one thread. The second thread is obviously the functional requirements that are needed from a tax perspective, right? You have direct, indirect tax requirements, transfer pricing. Um, and, and when you think about what's gonna be required as a, as a tax end user, it's interesting. I was just on a phone call with, uh, about you know, with a taxpayer who's gone through a four year implementation of one of these ERP platforms. And tax didn't have as much of the opportunity to be at the table talking about what the requirement needs are, what do they need to be doing around fixed assets and AP um, as it relates to tax. And it's actually resulted in tax now having to do more manual work than what they had to do prior to the new ERP implementation Mm -hmm. being, being implemented. So if you think about that, it's a huge opportunity for tax, but it also acts as a catalyst for tax to also take advantage well, I don't wanna say take advantage, but look to areas where maybe you can look to transform your tax function around its operating model, how it's using automation, obviously how it's reporting, how it's dealing with new reporting requirements like pillar two, and how do you think about making sure that that's making its way into the ERP as it's being set up?
0: Yeah, the the point on, if, if tax is not at the table though, what if not, I mean, like, listen, there may be some obviously pay-fors that are missing, but I, I think the other really important piece is like, I mean, what we're seeing amongst taxpayers and and even obviously within our own organization is just resources are scarce, right? And so trying to do whatever you can to try to minimize whatever additional adjustments might need to take place because that takes time, it takes people, there's cost. And so if to the extent the tax can get at, the, at a seat at the table and we can get the data in a form that allows us to do our provision, our compliance, even our modeling, mm-hmm. those taxpayers are gonna be in a lot better situation as opposed to just kinda of taking what they get from the ERP systems and then having to make those manual adjustments. Absolutely, right. Uh, from your I mean is, is tax usually involved in that from an ERP perspective is I mean are, what, what, what do you see from just a general trend perspective
1: I think it's definitely been a trend in the right direction okay. um, to get tax more and more involved I think historically and, and look the, the move to the cloud is um, you know a huge catalyst right. in terms of opportunity within organizations and we didn't see this you know, 10 years ago, right? You had on-prem solutions and that's where everybody went and you had a team that you worked with to get the reporting and tax could get what they needed by you know interacting with IT, whoever owned that, that particular platform. Now, obviously with the move to the cloud, it's causing both finance transformation and tax transformation, that need to come together. Um, so tax now really that trend is, if tax isn't involved, the question is, why don't we have tax involved? Versus we don't need tax involved because they'll figure it out after it's set up and they can get the reporting that they've historically gotten.
0: And, and the reason for the move to the cloud, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is largely driven by the big ERP p- providers, right? Correct. In other words, they want to move stuff from behind uh, you know their, their client's firewall. Right into a cloud-based system for, frankly, a number of reasons. Right. Yep. Um, but that's really what's what's driving a lot of this. And so, for some of our listeners of the cross-border tax talks that may not be quite as involved with <laughs> with this, that that change, that movement to the cloud is dry as a catalyst to your point for a lot of change. But that may not be the only catalyst. To your point, you know, if there's a big acquisition and companies need to combine, you mm-hmm. know, ERP systems, that could also be a catalyst. That's so, definitely true. Yep. All right, so let's move to our discussion on Pillar 2, because I think that really kind of starts to set the table of, you know, taxpayers are going to need a new whole set of data in a form that, frankly, we've never seen to be able to do these calculations. So we're going to talk a little bit about people, data, process, Mm -hmm. and technology over the, the duration of the rest of the podcast, but I wanted to start with really what I would call that the elephant in the room, which is really that starting point for, for the calculation, which is for, 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 for US gap taxpayers, and I'll, I'll remind listeners that it really depends on what the financial system is right. at the ultimate parent entity, but I think we have a lot of US MNCs, so we'll talk about US GAAP, but this also could be relevant for IFRS. But for US MNCs that file under US GAAP, they effectively need to have US GAAP financial statements by constituent entity. Right. How, how easy is this,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I guess it depends on your legal entity structures, right? right? But uh, I would say it's not easy, right? Because you're, you're moving from what has historically been, you know, I needed to get legal entity GAP. now I need to get what is considered a constituent entity and it's it's a hard enough process for many organizations I would say a vast majority of the organizations um or taxpayers that I work with just to get to legal entity gap right and understanding the various relationships and how to back out certain entities in order to get to gap now you're adding in a new component with which is this we'll call it a cal it's not really a calculation but how do you get to constituent entity right right and 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 that becomes a process that you have to understand and compare against what's your how do you get to us gap what's that process now you have to map out okay how do i get to constituent entity and what are the steps involved and understanding how your data and to your point the elephant in the room where are the gaps in your current data and how do you fill those gaps is it pulling in data from other systems right You, Mm -hmm. you know accounts payable if you're using a a separate fixed asset system from your ERP platform, mm-hmm. where do you get that data, who's the stakeholder that provides it, the format, the data hierarchy, which is really important because that's how you basically combine or decombine to get to US GAAP right now, or if you're foreign stat reporting as well now, okay. it also starts to play into this. And how do you think through that process and then understand where those gaps exist? is like, that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. And that's already complex for gap purposes. Right,
0: yeah, and and I'll remind folks that, to the extent that the, a constituent entity, even a constituent entity, has a permanent establishment, that we also have to do those the separate calculations by permanent establishment. Right. And my first instinct when I was going through those rules is like, oh well, if you have a permanent establishment, you already kind of have to put together standalone financials, if you will, to you know to file typically in that local jurisdiction wherever they have the permanent establishment. But just because you've complied with the local law on a permanent establishment and even report a, a balance sheet and P and L, that doesn't necessarily comply with you It doesn't mean that it's U. S. Gap. Right, I mean, the, right. what what the numbers and the data that we have for a permanent establishment may not be anything remotely similar to what we need to have as like a standalone U. S. Gap financial for that uh, for that or, or IFRS for that that permanent establishment.
1: Right. Exactly. Right. And it, it, like when you think about this. It it is basically adding in a whole new reporting regime that into the, really the construct of your tax function. Um, And and historically what you saw, and I know we're gonna spend some time on people and process, right? But just to hit upon this, right? You saw the construct of the tax department really be built around data flows, right? You had a person who was specific international right obviously you had a structuring person but you had someone international mm-hmm. state and local you may have had a transfer pricing specialist um fixed asset right obviously someone who's responsible for the provision the the and the income tax reporting but now you're finding there's a whole new layer of calculation a whole new reporting regime that you need that data for and how does that flow through and how does that individual now who's responsible for it understand how to be ready to to, to really not only just forecast on this as we start to think about it, planning around it, obviously, but then there's gonna actual be the actual reporting that's gonna be needed in the future around it.
0: Yeah, so let's un, let's, let's it's a perfect segue. Let's unpack some of this people stuff. Because sure. you know, we've obviously spent some time within our organization thinking about who are the the right people that we need at the table. And there's obviously international tax right. specialists like myself, there's data and process specialists like yourself. Right. We've gotten the tax accountants involved and then we've had a number of calls and questions with the tax accountants and i love we got a quote from from one of our tax accountants was like guys this isn't a tax accounting question this is an accounting accounting question (laughs) so then we needed to bring in our the accountant accountants we've got the tax accountants so it's really a, a a broad team of people that are required so what, what what suggested recommendations do you have for taxpayers as they're trying to pull these teams together, it, particularly in an environment where resources are scarce? Right. We know the tax departments are, you know, under a lot of pressure to streamline things. I mean, this is just, to your point, this is an entirely new system of data and calculations that have never existed.
1: Yeah, and, and so before I jump into how I would suggest maybe starting to approach it, you know, something that we see too is, you also have all of your foreign teams who are involved in this in, as point. well. Yeah. And, and so with that, right, it really comes down to having, I'll call it a, a governance structure around it. And that's setting forth as an organization and whether it starts with, a will call it a, a steering committee or a stakeholder group, really setting forth what is the charter in terms of how you're gonna approach it. Who are the individuals? What are their roles and responsibilities? Right. who's and where is it going to sit because that's the other thing i i would say i've probably had five conversations in the with five different taxpayers in the in the last week and a half about this and everybody has a different idea about who should be responsible right for pillar two um whether it's the controller group someone within tax someone within maybe it's the farm reporting teams you know it, it's a little bit all over the place right now and what I know what we saw be very impactful was, let's get a group together, mm-hmm. let's level set. What are we trying to accomplish? What do we wanna have planned? What is gonna be that the charter that we're gonna follow in terms of how to meet that? Um, who's gonna be responsible? And, and this kinda of goes a little bit more to process, but who's responsible for monitoring what's going on and understanding mm-hmm. the rules changes? And how does that then impact things that are already starting to move forward versus what do we now need to go back and change? There are a whole host of different things that you have to think about here. And having that level of a, I'll call it a concise working group is really critical here versus right. saying to one person, well, you own pillar two reporting um, and now go off and figure it out.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna come back to this, but but one point resonated with me as I've particularly been focused on the calculation aspects of of, of this and the calculation engine. Um, that, you know, what a challenge is, it, it will be as each jurisdiction, because at this point we have model rules in the commentary, right? We're recording right. this, it's June of 2022. We're still the UK, we're supposed to get some UK proposed rules, we're supposed to get some implementation guidance. But it's very possible, and I think very likely, that we will have multiple versions of, of Pillar Two. In other words, each jurisdiction, and we've seen this, there's a lot of precedence with even the EU. Um, anti-tax avoidance directives, like every jurisdiction will have their own little tweaks. And then we, so we have to run the same data set, presumably through a calculation engine that could have multiple different calculations per, you know, for, for jurisdiction. And it would it's just going to be very challenging for taxpayers to, to try to, to manage and they're going to need somebody from a technical perspective to try to manage all those different pieces. Right. Well well think like
1: just think about what you said right and now think about how you would align if you could align one person into that what their responsibility, they would need to be thinking about things from just an overall policy and legislation perspective, mm-hmm. right And understanding, You know, what's going on, who's implementing, when are the proposed rules coming out, which jurisdictions, right? Then there's an actual impact analysis. So somebody actually has to sit down and say, okay, what's the impact to us on day one if that is um, implemented? And Mm -hmm. in terms of from a proposed rules perspective, if it is implemented, how does that impact us? How does that then impact in terms of how we operate just from an operating structure perspective Mm -hmm. and how we respond to it? And then the third area is around structuring. Like, what does that do to our current legal What should we be thinking about Mm -hmm. in terms of opportunities maybe to restructure or think about structural changes to to navigate through what these rules are? And again, it comes back to, if you had just one person responsible for that, it would be an overwhelming task, right? Right. And you would be asking them to have, basically wearing four different hats at one time
0: around how you approach this. Right. And, and as we think about those people, I mean, there's really, there will be, when, when these rules officially come online, or assuming, that, assuming they officially come online, there's obviously the provision aspects, right? So yep. public companies are gonna need to think about the provision. There's the compliance, right? So companies right. are going to need to comply. We still really don't know what that's going to look like, but hopefully right. that is streamlined and consistent across multiple jurisdictions based on the implementation guidance that we get, mm-hmm. and we don't have multiple different form like different variations of forms. Um, we'll we'll see how that works, and then. To your, to your, the other point is modeling, right? Like, Because if companies are gonna be doing transactions, whether it's intercompany transactions, whether it's a disposition or an acquisition and then an integration, it's going to be really important for companies to understand what those pillar two implications are, and I think of imagine you know a company buying a company and wanting to integrate their intellectual property, right. for example. Well, you start moving IP around after these rules, and you're going to create a massive amount of globe income. You better make sure you understand that before you uh, you pull the trigger on a target.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know when you think about that, right? There's you you laid out like three different streams of. We'll call it process that need to occur around planning, forecasting and actual that are all going to need now to, you know, be restructured around how pillar two or how the pillar two calculations in all of the jurisdictions where you as a multinational, you know, have presence are going to need to be included. And with that, you know, this obviously creates a ton of. Um, issues in terms of how you think about that process and how that process factors into your own controls framework, mm. right? Um, you know, when you start to think about this, this is an actual like tax liability right. Right, that needs to be reported and recorded and reported, excuse me. Um, and with that, right, comes a whole host of process and SOX related controls that need to be taken into consideration um, around how you do that. Right.
0: Yeah, so so help me understand because as I was as as we moved to process here this this obviously will need to be to be run at the time of your US gap provision, yep. right? Cuz this is going to be an actual tax liability which presumably means it needs to be done on forecasted figures. Right. So so help me understand kind of how that process works as we move from forecast to actual and as we think about just an entirely separate system that we need to do i guess similar to what we do for our u.s tax and our foreign tax liabilities.
1: It, it, well it is very similar right in terms of how you move from forecasted to actual um, but with that right the rules and how those rules well whether they include or exclude certain things such as like deferreds in in those calculations plays a huge part so again it comes down to you're really operating in you know almost like parallel work streams um, around how you do something like a, you know, a forecast to actual and now layering in what could be a, a liability to the organization. And that creates a lot of challenges mm-hmm. like we've been talking about around the data and the process, who owns it, and, and just in general, right? how do you actually get there in that calculation and what are you doing in terms of using technology or various processes to help with it but owning that process and how it will maybe eventually audited, which is always in the back of the mind mm-hmm. of every tax professional, is, is a critical component that we don't know either. Right. We don't know how you know, the taxing authorities are going to review this. Right. We haven't gotten any visibility into that. Um, and that makes it very difficult Right to be able to stand up the right level of controls in order to be able to make sure that you're not gonna put yourself mm-hmm. in a bad position in the future.
0: How, how do you compare this Dom to country by country? Because I, the way I think of this, like country by country is really this first, kind of what I would refer to as a multi-jurisdictional sure. reporting requirement. Now, right obviously one big difference is country by country reporting didn't result in any actual tax liability, right? Exactly. right? But it really was that first kind of cross, you know, pan global cross jurisdiction reporting. Um, you know, is there anything that, that you've learned or taxpayers can learn from that process? I think it's a great question and, and you
1: hit it, right? Obviously that's more informational reporting, but what it did require, which is something that I, if, you know, I'm listening to this as a taxpayer. I say, well, at least I can leverage how we dealt with the foreign data reporting right. collection. You know, whether you're using a technology platform for that or you were using some sort of ingestion to collect that information from those. Var- That's going to be needed here. So mm. there at least is that framework in terms of how you reached out to each one of those farm reporting teams to collect that data, and maybe in some ways there was some automated collection that brought it into a warehouse, which would be an ideal state, and there Mm -hmm. are some organizations that have done that, you can at least leverage that here as a starting point to help with this from a calculation perspective. Um, But I also go back to the fact, typically what you'll find, it's a very small group of individuals in the tax function that are responsible for CBC, Right, and you can't do that with yeah, Pillar 2. As we
0: discussed, right. this is gonna take a much broader right. Exactly,
1: team. exactly.
0: Okay, so so let's move to, to data then sure. from, from process. And um, you know the way I think about kind of the, the data, I, I really view it as three kind of primary components, if you will, to the calculation. It's getting to the constituent entity U.S. gap, right? And then mm-hmm. what adjustments need to be made then to get to the globe income which is more kind of, I would call more of a calculation than even a data extraction exercise, but we'll unpack that a little bit. And then the calculation of covered taxes, right? And then once yep. we've got the covered taxes and the global income, we can then determine the potential top up tax. So we already touched briefly on the challenges of, of getting the the, the US gap data by constituent right. entity, um, and then which ultimately leads to the adjusted globe income. but. Maybe talk a little bit like for, for, for me, and I think from, from a taxpayer perspective, you know, typically US GAAP, and I think this is a little different than IFRS, and I will sure. acknowledge I'm not an expert in either of these. <laughs> but from a US GAAP perspective, we, the US GAAP, you know, and I've got an accounting degree, I'm not a CPA, but I were like, we do stuff on a consolidated basis, right? right, right. Here in the US, from a US GAAP perspective. And what these rules require us is effectively to kind of deconsolidate That's right. that. So, so that, I mean, how, how, do ta- how do taxpayers, I mean, from a data perspective, go about that?
1: Yeah, well, let's kind of start first a little bit high level around what you described, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we talked about, the legal entity just gap data. Um, for pillar two, right, there's also, and going back to ERP, There's also the need that some of that data is not just going to exist in the ERP platform as well. Right. So we talked a little bit about the farm reporting, but you're going to need your payroll data. Fixed assets, again, could live outside of that that ERP. So just your starting point in terms of data collect could require that you're going to multiple systems. You may be going to multiple ERPs, too. Um, It's not uncommon, probably for a lot of listeners, to have multiple ERPs within right. the organization in their organization, and with that, you know, because of acquisitions and, and other organizational changes, right, c- could require you're getting different, se- I'll call it different format sets of data right. as your
0: starting point.
1: So that's yeah, just to yeah, in, interject
0: there on the cause your point is a good one. that I should have mentioned is like there, we all, you also have to calculate the substance based carve out, which requires fixed assets and payroll. Right. Right. And so that's just another example of data that may or may not exist kind of within that, that existing stream. It's right. a really good point. So that's your point that you may have need to have multiple different sources to be able to get to all the aspects of the calculation. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And, and so it, you yeah, know, you have, I'll call it quality, um, you know, issues associated with that consolidated gap data that you're starting with, right? Because within that gap data, you may have, there may have been adjustments that were made, you could have top sides that were made um, in order to get, you know, f- for gap purposes, you may have had, you know, adjustments that were made in the following year, and you're pulling prior year data. You know, there's a a lot of things that can happen as it relates to just overall the data and mm-hmm. the, the quality of that data that may have happened throughout your process that now is a new starting point for you for pillar two purposes right right and then you like we were talking about around constituent entities right you have really how do you think about it on a country I don't want to use country by country right. but right. it is sort of you know right. I mean, jurisdiction constituent by entity. constituent entity jurisdiction by jurisdiction yeah. basis and there's there can be FX chain currency changes all of those types of changes that would impact on that data that you need to be thinking through at each of those constituent entities. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're going through the, the use of, you may have gap information where, you know, financial accounts that are maintained in local country gap versus what you're doing for U.S. purposes. So there's a whole host of ways that the data can be different based on each one of those constituent legal entities Mm -hmm. that you have to have a process built around. Right.
0: Yeah, and the way I think that, at least the way we've been thinking about it is what we've done is we've built kind of what I think we've been referring to as a data input catalog. It's just like, okay, what is all the information that we're going to need? And then it's like, okay, well, where do we potentially source this stuff? And, you know, one of the challenges is like that that, that there are certain decisions, right, that need to be made. For example, like as we think about covered tax expense, and this is just one example, um, like do we include, you know, certain types of refundable or non-refundable credits, right? It presumably would be hard for a system to be able to, to to determine whether something should be in covered taxes should be outside of covered taxes, um, and so you know it really takes some 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 manual process to be able to to decide kind of what ends up in which bucket. Well, what you're describing, right, is uh, operational
1: readiness. When you think about the fact, as you described, right, we don't know when these rules are coming. We're expecting that at least, you know, some form of, you know, like sample rules based off of jurisdiction will start to be released that we can start to work with. But having an approach, right, is a critical component here, an approach that the organization has agreed to, that that stakeholder group that I, I said has agreed to, That's operational readiness. Now, obviously, it may need to change when the the rules become final in a particular jurisdiction. Um, And then there's we can get into that from a process standpoint because that comes back to who owns this, who's responsible for maintaining it on a regular basis, monitoring what's going on in the various jurisdictions to be able to make sure that you're integrating those changes the right way. All of that comes down to how operationally ready are you in terms of your organization to be able to do these types of things. Right,
0: and and this is not going to be static, right? Right. You can imagine whatever the first version of the rules, even as they get implemented, like, I mean, just like in every other country, but what's fascinating, this will be kind of across the globe, but you can imagine, as territories, as different jurisdictions implement these rules, tweaking the rules, you know, as they get feedback from taxpayers, discover challenges, issues, whatever the case may be, and having somebody to be able to help manage changes to the calculation. And this is, it is a complicated data gathering and calculation exercise, I can see be very be very challenging. Absolutely, and if you
1: think that you can, I'll say this, when you think about those dependencies um, in terms of that calculation, in terms of dependencies, as it relates to each one of you know, your, your each foreign jurisdiction and how those rules can change or and will change you know, in right. the future, as you described, managing that from a process standpoint is going to be difficult enough now managing a calculation and something that's static is going to be even more difficult. Right.
0: Yeah, and I think that is a challenge anytime you're trying to operate, taxpayers are trying to operate in a spreadsheet environment, that that can be very challenging right. to be able to have to try to update. And, I mean, that would just be multiple tabs and just a, a, very, a very complicated calculation to, to try to do in a, in a spreadsheet environment. So, um, you know, one of the other challenges with data collection that as, as we've as we thought about trying to do the calculation is, trying to unpack intercompany transactions that were otherwise effectively, I don't know if disregarded sure. is the right term, right. but otherwise may not have been maybe scrutinized as much from an accounting perspective right. because companies would say, well, we're US GAAP, we file consolidated, it doesn't matter that I've moved a asset from you know one US subsidiary to a second US subsidiary. And then, you know, there's also challenges with respect to dividends and intercompany transactions that similarly may not have gotten a lot of scrutiny, if you will, from an accounting perspective.
1: Well, I think using the term scrutiny is a good way to, to kind of frame that up now. But if you think about how the, you know, what we've been seeing so far in terms of the rules, right, all of that factors into now within each one of those, you know, foreign jurisdictions, how you get to, to globe income, mm-hmm. right? And with that becomes a whole analysis around understanding how does you know the tax function, what is the current process around what you just described, whether it's intercompany or, or something else, and how does that now change as it relates specifically to your pillar two reporting needs? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that requires really sitting down and having that process mapped out, so that you do understand You know, what's happened or what historically has happened, um, what what goes on, you know, at each point in your your reporting cycle and then being able to say, okay, now what do we need to adjust as Mm -hmm. it relates to pillar two? And that also factors in to how you structure out that, you know, that that committee, that team that's going to be responsible for this. You know, they need to have that connectivity across all areas of the tax and accounting function to be able to understand this.
0: All right, so, so let's move to here at the end towards uh, technology okay. now. And uh, this is something where I'm absolutely kind of over my skis on. Uh, h- help me understand you know, where, and I appreciate there may not be a perfect answer to this, but you know, the ERP systems, right? Mm-hmm. general accounting systems, there are providers out there that do provision software, yep. for example. There's obviously providers out there that do tax reporting software. I'm sure, I think there's others for fixed assets. Sure you know, any thoughts or help clarity on, on where, where's the right starting point? And I appreciate, I guess it's probably just still too early to know how some of these different service providers are going to be able to try to source data for these calculations. but. Kind of where where are you as far as you're thinking about this, and as, as you're thinking about you know and advising taxpayers?
1: Sure, I I look I, I there is no one solution that that solves this. You can't just I, plug
0: I, in your cable you and just like that. Unfortunately, the, unfortunately right. it's not
1: as easy as just connecting your iPhone, right? And, and it's gonna you know get you into all your, the <laughs> right? all the data pops right. out, right? Okay. Um, but it is this does factor into how you approach it, right? So when you think about operational readiness for this. It really comes down to understanding you know your current technology stack and understanding what we were just talking about the process and the data how does it align in with your current technology stack where are there gaps in terms of that from a technology reporting perspective Um, again you know if you think about it from an output into let's just call it a workbook perspective and then doing calculations there that's probably not going to be the most robust solution to handle Mm -hmm. this because you have the data gathering that we were talking about, the deconsolidation to get to constituent entity, Mm -hmm. breaking out where you've had intercompany, right? All of the different adjustments, right? Being able to do that in a, uh, a, a manual fashion obviously is gonna take a lot of time and, and is prone to a lot of risk of mm-hmm. just manual error. Right. Um, so think about that technology stack between ERP. Where do you do some form of data aggregation? Where maybe do you do data aggregation and move that to a service provider who has been developing some sort of service around you know, the calculations, developing the technology around it, and maybe it's some sort of co-source arrangement that you engage mm-hmm. with them in around that. Because to build something like this, maintain all of the rules, all the rule changes, which is more, right. I, I would say, more of the even complexity. We haven't even gotten to that yet. Right. But as you said, you know, we know that there will be changes, whether it's year over year, quarter over quarter, right. just a, as comments start to come back on this. Maintaining that for one organization is going to be a very heavy load. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you think about that right Alignment with an with a service provider to assist you, um, and where can they use technology? Where can you use some of that technology? How do you work together with them? Is critical.
0: All right. So maybe I'll, I'll with the last word here, Dom. What what should taxpayers be doing now to, for operational readiness? What is because as I think about the timing, right? There's still tremendous uncertainty. You know with frankly what's going to happen with the eu mm-hmm. um there's uncertainty we know that we think that we that the e that the uk is intending to at least put out some model rules they had originally said that it would be april 2023 where you know that at least the 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 ir would 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 come into play with the utpr not to the following year We've seen that the OECD has already suggested moving the the implementation date from December 1st, 2023, or excuse me, from January 1st, 2023 to December 31st, 2023. I don't really know what that means (laughs) um, as far as that, moving that, but just I think they probably wanted to accomplish, you know, 2023. But, I mean, even if it's the slips, as we said earlier, it's 18 months away. You know what should what should taxpayers be doing now immediately to to get ready
1: yeah i think that uh, well i'll frame it up around a couple of things number one you know focusing in on getting together a stakeholder team around mm-hmm. this and like we've been talking about that and in, that includes not just only internally within an organization but their service provider as well as a part of that team mm-hmm. right how are you going to approach it who's going to be responsible for what what is the overall charter in terms of over the next three months, what do we want to accomplish? What do we want to have stood up? And then it's starting to move through that from a work stream perspective. I think that the best place to start is, okay, understanding where are you going to have, at least in the current state, and this could change over mm. the, depending on how things are implemented, where are you going to have reporting requirements? Okay, so how does that factor into what our current process is? And then how do we start to approach it from like what we've been talking about? Who are mm. going to be the people? How are we going to source the right data? How are we gonna do it from a technology perspective? And really getting agreement around that as an organization and then starting to to drive it forward. So it's not necessarily um, overly complex, but if you haven't started already thinking about each one of those things and have a working committee set up that's operating and trying to, to structure that out and interacting with service providers, you really need to right. immediately.
0: And, and it's it's gonna be a big cost, right? Yes. Even if even if right. taxpayers wanna do this internally, just the amount of additional resources, the your technology point, the Absolutely. data sourcing. And so I think my advice would be like, try to understand those costs obviously of, of, of complying with these rules. And then of course, as we've said many times with the cross-border tax talks, modeling, 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 you know, really understanding, you know, assuming these rules come in in some form or fashion as we've gotten from the commentary and the model rules, you you know, communicating up to, to management, like what the, what the potential tax consequences are. And, you know, as we've also mentioned on this podcast many times, certain jurisdictions, even if their statutory rate is well above 15, like the U S yep. we've found that the globe rate can be below. And so, you know, communicating all of the operational aspects as well as kind of the after tax P and L financial statement implications is really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Doug. And, and, <laughs> You know, I'll go back to what I said around ERP. Here's a catalyst that if I'm a head of tax and you know, as I'm working to try to get budget for automation, technology, transforming my data, here's a catalyst within your organization that's coming. So right. use this as a way to make sure you can get in front of it. The budget that's going to be needed around this is is, is away from a tax perspective to, to
0: really catalyze a lot of your own transformation. Yeah, that's a great, that's a perfect way to, to end it. Right where we started, where as we're seeing these major transformations and for ERP systems, start thinking about Pillar 2 and making sure that that's on the, the work plan. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks. Thank you, Dom Megna, PwC tax partner and leader of PwC's tax reporting and strategy practice for joining me on the podcast. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's international tax services leader. Stay tuned in two weeks for another exciting edition of the Cross-Border Tax Talks podcast.